0: Welcome to Best Me Radio, I'm your host Carl Hammington and I talk to experts in many areas including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information, inspiration and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. Hi everyone in the Best Me community, now judging from the feedback of the last episode, there were a lot of minds blown, including my own. And uh, I agree with the feedback that it was a refreshing angle on ancestral health and the hunter-gatherer way of being. Now today we're changing tact a little bit and we're talking to someone who has experienced a lot of pain and a lot of fear. We'll explore how no matter who you are, uh, what you've been through or what you're currently going through, that we can all find a way to a meaningful existence. And some may say an uh, enlightenment as a result of these painful experiences. We will explore why and how to find your worthy struggle, as you know, struggle is a given, and why we should be seeking adversity um, to advance our own personal evolution. Now, this man has been through a lot and come away with some great tools and techniques to better the human experience, and his book was so powerful, it was even forwarded by the Dalai Lama, so please enjoy, and as always, continue stepping into the best version of yourself.
1: Hey Carl, my name is Akshay Nanavati. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, ultra runner, adventurer, and the author of the book Fearvana
0: and uh, so much more. <laughs> Let's um so I've, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um but first of all, um what I'm excited to to learn a bit more about is um a little bit more around um your your background and growing up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'd like to you to start. I don't need the full, complete, uh, detailed history, but <laughs> sure. Um, I'll be really interested to know, you know, where you grew up, what sort of environment, and um, yeah. perhaps how that shaped you as well.
1: Yeah. So I was born in India. I'm originally from India. Grew up in, in- moved around a lot. India, Singapore. Moved to Texas when I was 13. Um, and soon after move because I moved around a lot. I was kind of lost, I guess, in figuring out who I was. It wasn't nearly sure if, you know, I guess many kids are, but some kids seem to know their path earlier on. I definitely wasn't one of those. So soon after moving to Texas, I got very, very heavily into drugs Mm -hmm. into alcoholism in a pretty dark way. I mean, I still have scars on my arm from when I used to cut myself, burn myself, just in a very self-destructive path. And, uh, for about a year and a half was on that path. I lost two friends to drug addiction and was pretty much headed down there myself. Um, and But I was born to a good family also. Like, I mean, great family, put me in the best schools. So it wasn't like I was some traumatized child or anything. I really, you know, that kind of metaphorical silver spoon in my mouth. But coming out of drugs actually was when I learned the value of throwing out that spoon and like literally and metaphorically crawling through the dirt. I joined the Marines despite two doctors telling me that boot camp would kill me because of a blood disorder I was born with. But... um I decided to, I mean, it took me about a year and a half to kind of fight my way into the Marines. And through that experience is really what has shaped me into who I am. That was kind of the the launch pad for my discovery and my understanding and the beauty of what struggle can do to us and why it was worth, you know, kind of destroying that luxury and comfortable life that I had been born into to explore the depths of adversity. And since then, that path has been just kind of scaled up since then to now everything I do with Firvana. I mean that's the ethos of Firvana is that fear and struggle can be an access point to bliss and enlightenment, right? And so that was really the launch pad for that whole world and for who I am
0: today. Beautiful. And um on that note of you know seeking adversity as well, um you've just come off a dark retreat. Um so could you explain to us what that is? Sure. Maybe you know, maybe why you did it. And then uh, yeah, also sure. be interesting to get some insights as to, you know, what you learned.
1: Sure. So I, sp- I just came back from spending seven days, like 24-7, in silence, isolation, and pitch darkness. I mean, you cannot see your hand in front of you darkness, like pitch, pitch wow. dark. Uh, <laughs> very, very intense experience, as you might imagine. And what had me go do it was to explore stillness. You know, I had gotten to a point that I was really good at the doing, but I mean, in today's world, it's so rare for us to really be still with ourselves, right? Like we're constantly on our phones, we're watching movies and sometimes even the positive things we do like working or running, uh, in my context, that's, that's basically my life working in my <laughs> business and running, um, is, you know, quote unquote positive, but it's still not, it's still running away from something I think. And when we allow ourselves to go deep within and be still, we can really see what shows up. And me being me at this point, I'm going to explore stillness in the most intense and extreme way I can possibly think of, yeah. which was to go into a darkness retreat as opposed to, let's say, like a silent retreat, which I was thinking about doing. But when I found out about the concept of darkness retreat, I was like, absolutely. Let's go wow. do this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, – and I mean, the realizations, uh, there's so many, you know, like I got really concrete understandings of very abstract concepts that I've struggled with for a long time, like the nature of God, the nature, meaning of enlightenment. What does mm. it mean to be like the, the nature of the self? What is the meaning of life? You know, simple little things like that <laughs> yeah. uh, to to get concrete. And I'm not saying my my answers are the right answers, but my answers were answers that satisfied me, like concrete answers that satisfied me about those things i got a deeper sense of like an understanding of how there is light in the darkness you know i mean you you actually see physical light shows like and i know that it's not quote unquote real in the sense that the room is dark but the lights that you see are as real as anything else i've seen in my life and i know that and so it's this really like deep knowing of uh light and darkness and these dualities that exist in the human experience on a literal sense and like in a metaphorical sense as well so even coming out of the darkness to see the light for the first time in seven days was one of the most profound things i've experienced in a long time i mean i was like tearing up it was so powerful and it just it just re i mean i remember coming out and just saying to myself that i want to be able to see the world every day through these eyes. And I actually said, I actually felt grateful for all the pain I'd experienced in life because it's through pain, it's through darkness, you can see light in a different way. And adversity is a gift that allows us to tap into something more, especially when we choose to seek it out and when we choose to view it that way.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Um yeah I I can see the benefit in it today. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. look at the world around us and it's uh mm-hmm. I think we've got more sensory input than we've ever had before in human history, mm-hmm. you know. It's uh including light pollution, you know, we've uh, we've hacked yeah. the the natural light cycles now. So, I can see there'd be a huge benefit in that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um it was very 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 profound. Yeah.
0: And I I hear you're um you're also on a bit of a mission to uh run <laughs> run border to border of every country in the world, is that right?
1: Yeah, it was kind of this mission that came to me when I got out of some dark, darker spaces earlier in my life after coming back from the war. I served in the Marines, went to Iraq. I uh, was diagnosed with PTSD, struggled with alcohol, struggled with depression, got to a point I was on the brink of suicide. And um, coming out of that was one part of it was just learning more about neuroscience, psychology and spirituality and kind of digging deeper into that sense. The other was like the physical realm, because I believe, and I'm sure you can resonate with this with what you do, like as an exercise is the only way that you can really tap into mind, body, and spirit, you know, like meditation is great, but you're not pushing physically. Physically, when you push yourself, and which is why I love long distance running, it allows you to tap into all three kind of, of these, these, these spectrum of the human experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, like a long distance run, I just recently ran 80 miles around a 0.2 mile loop in my building in India. Uh, 0.2 mile loop, so super small loop. I've been going 80 miles around this for like 21 hours. uh, Brutal, but like you go into spaces that are just, you, you know, you delve into the mind, body, spirit. And so I loved traveling. So I was like, okay, how can I tie these two things together? And it was like, oh, let's, let's do this. You know, what's, uh, <laughs> and it's one of those things that I don't know if I'll ever do all countries, but I don't really care because the journey itself has been tremendous. I mean, oh, the wow. last one I just finished was I ran 167 miles across Liberia. <laughs> and I mean, the, the the experience was deeply profound. We helped raise a ton of money to build the first sustainable vocational training school out there. I had so many beautiful experiences of human connection. Like just one example of that was I got so close to my cameraman who was kind of filming the run. And after the run, I did two weeks out there doing humanitarian work with this group, uh, Awakening Giants, and we were filming a documentary around it. And I got so close to the cameraman out there that When, uh, after the documentary and all, we actually, through my foundation, through my nonprofit, the Firvana Foundation, we sponsored him and his family. And they came and stayed with me and my family in India for a month. So his five year old son could have a life saving heart surgery. And um, that was such a beautiful experience of like the oneness of all of us, right? Like the oneness of the human condition. And that would not have happened. It was through this run because he would start running with me for a little bit. And then we would chat, we would talk while running. And when you delve into the suffering at that level, you actually bond on a deeper level. It sheds a lot of these labels of like, you know, he's he's he was a black guy from Liberia, West Africa. I'm a brown Indian U.S. Marine from like God knows where because <laughs> I'm all over the world. And it's like these people from like all these different labels of who we have, from our nationality, our race, our religion. But like that stuff gets shattered and we just see the essence of the human experience, right? The our essence of our humanity. And he then came and his five-year-old son is now doing extremely well. He's back in Liberia playing soccer and everything and had this heart surgery as a result of this experience. Like that was probably one of the more profound things, but there were so many little things along the way as well. And so that's yeah. what kind of inspired this to 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 go deeper into like running as a way to explore the suffering of the human experience and then transcend that in service of human connection. Mm-hmm. And I've had plenty of moments like that when I ran across Luxembourg, ran across Malta about how the adversity I was experiencing bonded me with people in the region and as they saw my pain and uh, and it was really, yeah, it was really profound. So. Kind of on the path while I'm doing a bunch of other stuff with Firvana in the business, and you know, yep. if as as in when the next country shows up, it, I allow it to show up. So
0: <laughs> that's seriously inspiring, and you can see like that's almost the definition of you know sort of deep ecology. You know, you're connecting with yourself on a deep level, mm-hmm. with nature, mm-hmm. with other humans, other animals. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it's it's incredible. Well done. Absolutely. Thank you. That's <laughs> <laughs> really impressive. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to take a little step back and, um, you know, th- we're going to step into the journey through the U.S. Marines. Um, mm-hmm. and first of all, um, what inspired you to get into, you know, to to take that step to jump into the U.S. Marines? I heard that a certain movie had something to do with it. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, what did you really love about that uh, Marine experience as well?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, so as far as what inspired me to get into it, so you know, as I mentioned, I was pretty heavily into drugs, yep. uh, back in high school, and I watched this movie Black Hawk Down. Have you, have you seen it? Yeah, have you, a Great movie. Yeah, you've seen it. Okay, yeah. so very powerful war movie based on a true story. And in the in the movie, there's this scene where these two uh, these two soldiers they volunteer to go on the ground. They're in choppers in the air. They volunteer to go to the ground and set up a defensive perimeter to protect their one of their one of their soldiers. Uh, and they both died, but the guy they protected is still alive today as a result of their actions. Hmm. Among many other actions that they show in the movie, and again, it's a true story. I read the book as well. It just triggered something in me that what kind of human beings would have the courage to to sacrifice their lives for someone else, to give everything up for someone else, and hmm. it was. Deeply profound for me. I still remember right after the movie, I then got the book, read book after book on military and combat, and almost overnight, stopped doing drugs, wow. and decided to join the military. Where in the military, nobody cares about you and your well being. What matters is the good of the group, and there's something beautiful about that. You know, you're living for something again, separate from all the politics of war and all that. Like just in the experience of actually being in this in, in the group with this group of marines you know you suffer together you go through adversity together it bonds us in a deeper way and you live for the group for the group and the, for the, your men and your mission that's what matters you know yeah. and your well-being is a, is a is a distant like not even a third a distant fourth fifth or whatever you know beyond everything yeah. it's what matters is the is the men and the mission and i loved that experience i loved living in service of something beyond myself wow. that was one thing so the camaraderie i loved experiencing the struggle you know yeah. i mean like i said i was born to a good life with good you know comfortable i right it now i'm very close to my parents um you know i love uh, they put me give me everything i could ask for but letting all of that go to go into the muck to go into the dirt to experience adversity to go into suffering was tremendous you know it um I started to find beauty and struggle and challenging myself and exploring the perceived limitations I had because, again, I had this blood disorder. Basically, I mean, you know, two doctors told me it would kill me, but it transports less oxygen through your body, which is obviously not ideal <laughs> for yeah. anybody, let alone somebody pushing their body and mind to their <laughs> limits, right, uh, yeah. as an ultra runner now. But it was like it was a barrier that I believed was a barrier until I realized that it's not even, it's not even close to a barrier. If nothing else, it's an opportunity to shatter a perceived limitation. Yeah. I, I always thought that I'm never going to be that fit. And now like, you know, my resting heart rate is in the 36, like 37 range wow. and I run ultra marathons, right? So the Marines was the stepping stone into discovering like our, our collective ability to shatter our limits yeah. and to live in some service of something greater. That's and great. I mean, forever transformed by that experience. Like I said, I mean, even when I introduce myself, one of the first things I say is a Marine Corps veteran, cause I'm deeply proud of that experience. Yeah. And uh, of course, not just the training, but then going to, going to Iraq, you know, all of it was a very powerful life experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, so much I could uh, add to that, but. You know, I love that you brought up that probably you weren't born a naturally, you know, fit runner. For example, in mm-hmm, terms of the running, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think when they probably, you know, read your story, say, like, "Well, he's probably always been fit and always, yeah. you know, been a runner," but <laughs> it's obviously not the case, and that makes it even more impressive. Um, yeah. Secondly, if we go into the um, back to the Marines, what, what was your role, and um, you know, what, what did you sort of, um, what were some of the you know, life changing experiences um, mm-hmm. within the Marines for you?
1: I, I, my role was in infantry. So I signed up to be an infantry Marine, which means, you know, you're on the, on the ground with the rifle, uh, when you go out there. And, um, and so, you know, I, I ended up doing really, really well. I graduated infantry school as the honor graduate of my platoon. And, uh, I mean all the training, there's so many, so many awesome, like funny, beautiful, painful experiences. That's why, again, I love all these experiences. Like you can probably see that everything I do now with running is you get to experience everything intensely, like deeper pain, yep. but also deeper joy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and the Marines taught you that. And then I went to Iraq in 2007, um, as an infantry Marine, like many different jobs out there. One of my jobs was actually to walk out in front of our vehicle convoys to look for bombs before they could blow up our vehicles. Wow. So That's intense job. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so all of it, I mean, experiencing that I've, I, you know, even before I went, I lost a very close friend of mine. To the war we were in the same unit together and we had always volunteered to go to war together when we got out of training We were in the same unit in texas and kept volunteering to go together and twice the marines told us we're going and then last minute They canceled it and so actually one summer while I was vacationing here in, well, in india Uh when I was in india I was vacationing in india he ended up finding a unit to go with And he never came back mm-hmm. He was killed out there and I always felt to this day like the lives with me that I should have gone there with him and it should have been me that died instead of him. Because what happened is he ended up getting promoted. And he because of that, he was in a seat that got hit with an IED, with a, with a bomb. And I always felt like had I gone, I would have gotten promoted because I would always beat him. Like a close friend of mine, we'd compete when we'd be in training. And I'd always beat him like by a few points in the rifle range or, or a few seconds on a run, you yeah. know, uh, but just barely beat him. But I would always beat him in, like in little things and we'd co- kind of compete and stuff. And so I always felt like if had been me that gone, maybe I should have gotten that promotion so he could come back. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff lives with you, of course. And so when I came, you know, when I went out to war, I, I was, I felt like uh uh you know, I, I I mean I was I had volunteered, so I was like waiting for the opportunity to go mm-hmm. and didn't necessarily have much planned after coming back cuz I didn't you know think I would to some degree. It was like, you know, let's go like it's not on me to come back. If let it let somebody else, you know, yeah. if uh, uh come back if if that's the case. But uh of course, you know, I I can't I did come back and now you got to find meaning to that life. I struggled after coming back mm-hmm. I, when I came back from the war uh junior Marine shot himself in the head, uh, as well. So lost another Marine after that. And so, you know, you, those kind of things live with you,
0: but I mean, yeah, you, it sounded like you, you had a tough time coming back from, from war and you suffered mm-hmm. from uh, post traumatic stress disorder, didn't you?
1: Yeah. You know, when you come back, I mean, when I came back and went to college, I struggled with, I mean, I kept volunteering to go back. I was like, all right, you know what? I can't handle this. Let's just go back to war. I wanted to go back to Afghanistan go back to Iraq go somewhere. And, uh, I struggled with, with the normal world, uh, with the mundaneness, with the complexities, with all of the life in the mundane world. War is very simple. You know, when you all you have to live for is your man and your mission, like there's a simplicity when all you have to worry about is living and dying. Mm -hmm. And there's a beauty to that simplicity. It's also, there's a high to it. that's very addictive. Which was one one of the reasons why many veterans struggle when they come back from war, you know. Uh, one of one of a few other reasons as well, but that was definitely one of it. And uh, so really struggled, I struggled with just. I mean, it, it was only years later that it really hit like a like the brink. I think it was maybe 2013, 2014 when I was at the lowest. Uh, maybe 20, I can't remember the details. Yeah, 2013 because I got, finished college. I was doing my thing, you know. And, I, and the Marines didn't end up sending me back out there. And finally, in 2010, I I got out and just get finished up my college degrees, had a corporate job for a year and a half, quit that to start my business. And yeah. so when I started my business soon after that, it really hit the, hit the point where I ended up going to the Veteran Affairs Administration, was diagnosed with PTSD, was drinking in a bad, 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 bad way. Uh, I mean like binge drinking, I'm talking, I would like down liters of vodka, drink until I pass out and then wake wow. up and drink again until I just pass out. And this would go on for five, six days until it was just like too much to handle and then i'd be like all right i got to got to get my you know life together and then it would the 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 the, the pattern and the cycle would kind of continue um till till i finally woke up one day and literally thought this pattern's never going to end so i like wanted to go to the kitchen pick up a knife and just end my life and that was like shocking to me that i had got to that point that i even th- thought about taking my own life like it horrified me that i would even put that thought in my head and that was a a trigger that led to the long road uh to salvation if you will
0: <laughs> so so i mean it's great that you had the awareness to actually you know stop yourself in that moment but mm-hmm. um you know where did that lead so as soon as you you had that sort of um that realization um what was the next sort of step or what was the next big life step that you took after that
1: you know it wasn't like um and I, I feel like just in my understanding of human behavior change, I think it's like sometimes I think the personal development industry plays it like, oh, one magical aha moment changes you. I don't think that's yep. true. I think it's like a you can have an aha moment, but then you have to change behavior patterns that are ingrained, right? Yep. <laughs> and that yep. moment, then, then it has to be reinforced constantly. Like I even like going to a darkness retreat, intense experience, but unless I take the lessons and apply them regularly, it's useless. So um, I did, I actually drank again. I fell back into the pit after that, after that low moment, but it was like the trigger that started to get me out of it, you know, that I started then reading because I wasn't happy with the, with the treatment I was getting. And again, the people I was seeing, like the therapists and all good human beings, but I just came to learn. And now over time, I, I believe it to the core of my soul that they were operating from a very bad playbook. Yeah. And so I started looking at a deeper understanding of, you know, neuroscience, of psychology, of spirituality to heal my own brain. initially just to get out of my own like like just to figure out what's going on here you know and uh obviously that led me on a far deeper path to figure out how do we all navigate the experience of human suffering because everybody's suffering in some way Uh, we all have our degrees we all experience it all experience pain and how do we navigate that and i think that's the fundamental problem with the human condition you know which because we have like our collective things that we do to progress and try to evolve but we haven't really um figured out how do we enhance the experience of a human life, the content of human experience, you know, yep. if, if anything, it's only getting worse because I think with problem that we, that we, that we're, that we're seeing is that we're trying to make our lives easier and easier and easier. And like every new yep. piece of technology, every, like we, our progress <laughs> is how we make our lives easier. And that's a huge flaw. Like easier is not better. And I started to learn this, you know, like I had gone through all these experiences that in a way, like taught me this, but I wasn't conscious of it, you know. Like I, I didn't come out of the Marines being like consciously saying to myself, "Struggle is beautiful." Like I am now, you know. I wasn't that self-aware about what I was doing, but life experience combined with these learnings were t- teaching me something else about how trauma can equals growth. Trauma doesn't like I came to learn, for example,
0: post-stress. Uh, uh, sp- sorry, post-traumatic growth is that right? Is that what I, exactly? I yeah. Exactly,
1: post-traumatic growth. Like you know, because most people when they associate trauma, it, they it leads. It's the, the, the first the first word, the first thing that comes up will be post traumatic stress disorder. Mm. But the reality is trauma can be an access point to growth and it tremendous to growth to enlightenment you know and, uh, and so i started to, to distinguish between post-traumatic stress versus post-traumatic stress disorder so i had symptoms of post-traumatic stress but that doesn't mean it was a disorder they labeled me as such but i refused to accept that label you know and create ultimately a new one like Beautiful. just because i was jumpy when there was loud noises because i felt survivor's guilt anybody who loses somebody close to them is gonna feel the ask that question at some point in their life why them not me You know, so survivor's guilt is a human experience. It's an expression of love. You know, it's not like a it's not a disorder and really separating the two that, okay, I have all these symptoms of like my brain just learned to uh, respond to life that way because it was spent seven months in a war zone. That's not a disorder. That's a normal human uh, response to life. Right. (laughs) And when I let go of that label, then I can choose who I want to be instead and create a new self instead of being attached to that label and that definition of who I was.
0: I love that. That's brilliant. Um, so much to add to that again. That's, that's great. So, um, when you did your research and your, your study, you studied psychology, uh, neuroscience, uh, what were some of the most powerful research, um, papers or, or, or events that you came across, uh, during that time?
1: You know, one of yeah, one of the most powerful concepts that I think really lives me to this day and really like, is also expands on what I was just saying was that we don't control what first shows up in our brain. So neuroscience and spirituality have both shown this. So, for example, in neuroscience, they've shown studies that like I have this glass of water next to me. When I pick it up, my brain has actually registered that action before I actually do it. Like, and there's plenty of studies that have shown that they can actually measure brain like the, the, the brain patterns and see the, where it activates before a person consciously takes the action, which is I mean, it questions a lot of our notions of free will. Right. Like hmm. what is that? What does that say about free will? And what I came to learn is, like, I think this one quote from this beautiful book, uh, The Psychology of Man's Possible Evolution, really summarizes the essence of this. He says, man is a machine, but a very peculiar machine. He is a machine that, when recognizing he is a machine, can cease to be a machine. <laughs> and the idea is that – and that, that, to me, is kind of the essence of it – Like we are very much all of us we think we are like these autonomous free will creatures but we're not we operate based on patterns that have been ingrained into us like on everything that shaped us into who we are today right like our past yeah. our genetics all life experience but by simply accepting what is we can then rise above what is and create and use it to create something else and that's exactly what i did with my symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder like post-traumatic stress that you know these things were there i'm jumpy with loud noises i don't like crowds i feel survivor's guilt. That's my brain's response to an experience of war. But that's not me. That's not who I am, right? Like, I am not my thoughts. Exactly. Hmm. Like, it doesn't define me. There's a space between my thoughts, my feelings, and my experiences. And me, as the thinker of my thoughts, the feeler of my feelings, and the experiencer of my experiences. And mastering that space is everything. Mm. So, like, in in spirituality, they also called it, like Buddha said, we're, we're all stabbed by the the two darts of suffering. And the first dart is the one we don't control. So for example, like if I stub my toe against a door, the first dart is the pain in in my toe. The second dart is when I start saying things like, you know why do bad things happen only to me? Why does God hate? Me? Why does why does this door stupid? The house is stupid. That kind of thing. And it's the second darts that cause this problem. Even not just in an external sense, but like emotionally. If I'm standing on the edge of a cliff, my brain feels fear. If somebody walks into the room right now with a gun, I'm gonna feel fear. I'm not choosing to feel it. My brain reacts to that experience. What I do in the space between that fear and my conscious reaction is everything. And realizing – and I call the second dart syndrome because most people aren't aware of the two darts of suffering. We just get lost in that downward spiral, and the first dart gets connected and attached to the second dart as opposed to realizing there's a space and then saying, hey, this thing is here. This emotion is here. Mm-hmm. This experience is there. This thought is there, but I am not those things. Who do I want to be outside of that? And that was everything. So I'm not my alcoholism. I am not my suicidal patterns. I'm not my response to war. Who do I want to be instead? And then finding who I want to be and creating who I want to be on a regular basis.
0: So it's kind of like events uh, plus awareness equals the outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. And so exactly. Yeah, that's really good. I like and rec- that, that rec- the definition of the space is great. That space is everything. So this obviously led to the creation of uh, Fairvana, um, mm-hmm. which I love the, the title of, by the way. But um, can you define uh, you know Fairvana to, to the guests and to myself as well?
1: Sure. I define fearvana as the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by our own worthy struggle is our own path. Like, I don't like that term passion as much because I think it's important to be passionate about that path. But often in today's world, the connotation is if I follow my passion, life will be like sunshine and rainbows and ease, <laughs> right? And it absolutely won't, as yeah. everybody starts to slowly realize. Uh, that's why I call it your worthy struggle. Like life will be hard. Any path you choose will be hard. But when you find that worthy struggle, you know that that's worthy of who you are and who you want to be. And that is the most beautiful thing in the world to be consumed on that path. To let that path like consume the entirety of your soul. And that's what nirvana is—is the bliss that you find on that path. It's like the it's like these two seemingly contradictory ideas, fear and nirvana, that I've come to learn are very complementary. And struggle is an is an essential part to uh, To achieve enlightenment and bliss and a more me- meaningful life as well, so they have to coexist as
0: one. Beautiful. So, I mean, adversity is probably the one thing in life that's guaranteed, right? <laughs> it's always going to happen. Absolutely, right? Yeah, whether we yeah, like it or not, we whether we it, seek but... it,
1: whether we seek it out or not, yeah. yeah. We're, taught, we're taught, we're taught, we live in a world that teaches us to demonize the experience of adversity. I mean, when you say. When you say words like fear, stress, anxiety, adversity, like pain, suffering, nobody hears those words and thinks positive experiences, right? Or positive emotions. We all think of them as negative. And that to me is the single greatest problem that stands in the way of our happiness. When we actually reframe our relationship to these, to the experience of suffering in any form, then we can live a happier life. And that's the whole ethos of Firvana is to help people develop a positive relationship to suffering so we can live a happier and more meaningful Mm. life
0: yeah i mean there's been some great research come out of the states actually around you know stress and your relationship with it and mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. if you view stress as a bad thing um it will literally um shorten your life um by i think it was around 20 to 40 something percent it was quite significant mm-hmm. anyway but if you view yeah. it as a good thing it actually has a potential to extend your life so um, it's not necessarily the stress it's a problem it's your relationship with stress it seems to be absolutely Which is exactly yeah no love
1: saying. Love the way you put it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's our relationship to it because we need stress in our life. I mean, you know, yeah. you work out, you go to the gym, right? Like, it's like even on a physical level, you have to stress the body for yeah. the muscle and then you recover for the muscles to go stronger. And it's the same thing on a spiritual and mental level. You have to put stress on ourselves like, that's why, again, this world that says kind of eliminate stress, manage stress, like how do we get rid of stress? No. How do we embrace stress? And then obviously temper that with recovery, right? Like, uh, yep. uh, it's the same thing. So, yep. but that's, and that causes so many problems. It's kind of the demonization of stress yep. and fear and all of it.
0: Perfect. So how would someone go about finding their worthy struggle? Is it, is it something that's there? Is it something they just need to become aware of? Um, are there tools to help tease this out? I mean, i mean assuming there's a lot of this in the work that you do. Um, yeah some really easy things that people might be able to explore
1: you know you start by looking at like what elements of life do you want to live like when you look at people living their life what are the criteria you know like for example i might say okay i love to travel i love to climb mountains and uh, maybe some people don't want to do that they want to spend stay at home with their family so look at the look at the things like look at the 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 lifestyle elements so start okay, kind of working from the end backwards like but ba- i mean working from the future to the now as opposed to work from the now to the future so mm-hmm. look like what is your ideal world look like right once you have some creek like some criteria laid out, then you can start looking at what quote unquote job can get you there. And I say quote unquote job because like it could be like, OK, I want to become a professional mountaineer, you know, um, and yep. that's not a traditional job, but it could be what you what you want to do. So I, for example, at one point wanted to do that. I wanted to become a, like a professional mountaineer. But over time, I realized that was not my path. And uh, and now now I've kind of found my worthy struggle. Sometimes it takes time. There's people who know it at a young age. Like I have a friend who's about to be a grandmaster in chess and she's like 20. Hmm. She figured out when she was like 12 years old, you know, oh. so good for her. But the point is like if you're not there, that's okay too. Like I'm 34 and I only just kind of figured out my worthy struggle maybe a year or two ago have I gotten like immense clarity on who it is, like who I want to be and what that path is, right? Yeah. So it's okay wherever you are. Some people don't figure out till they're 50 or 60. The point is that like it's not it's, – it, like you look at like life criteria. You work backwards from there and say, okay, what thing, what job will get me to these experiences of life? You can say what are my values? Like what are the what are like the conditions of life that I want my life to look like? And then you work backwards from there to say, okay, what's going to get me to those conditions? Um, And then you're only going to learn it in the doing. You know, you have to, like, you can listen to this podcast. You can read a book. You can get all the – you can go to a training that's all well and good. But the biggest thing that you have to do is the greatest lessons are in the doing. And this is where life gets hard. Like, this is what frustrates me about this personal development industry is that, you know, we all go to seminars, we feel good, we're coming out like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're motivated, this, that and the other thing. And then how many people actually change their life? Like one of the things I do early in my talks and my workshops is I'll tell you right off the bat, I'm not here to motivate you. I don't care if you're walking out of this room with a smile. Like my goal is that I want you to leave you with tools that when you go back to your life and pain hits and it will hit, what are you going to do then? Right? Like, So you have to get into the doing. You have to experience the suffering. You have to seek out that suffering and seek out that pain, seek out the struggle, and then you'll realize, okay, maybe this path is for me. Maybe this path is not. So I realized by doing all this stuff that I didn't want to be a professional mountaineer. Like I still want to climb mountains, but I didn't want to do it as a sponsored mountaineer, you know? Like now I'm a sponsored runner, but like I wanted to build a business around it so I could use my uh, like adventures is a, as a vehicle for service as well. So I had to figure that out in the doing of it, right? Like at one point I wanted to go career Marines, you know, so that path changed, but again, no regrets. Like all this life experience has brought me to where I am today. So if you figure it out early, totally cool. If not explore, get out there and doing like, especially young people. We live in a world also that's like, and, uh, sorry, I get on these rants, but, uh, but I want to share this. It's a great rant. <laughs> like- it's a great rant.
0: I encourage a good rant.
1: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Glad to hear Cause yeah, as you can see, I get fired up, but <laughs> Love it. Like we're we're so not patient, right? Like patience. We want our results, everything. Like we live in our world. We want the results like this. And we can put on, we can order something on Amazon, get it in two days. We can watch movies instantly. And as a result, we're taught like this instant gratification world. Yes. But things take time. Anything worthwhile takes time. I mean, you know it, man. Like six-pack abs take time. But we live in a world that says you can get six-pack abs walking 14 minutes in a day. 100%. Dude, you know that doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Like you, you do not get six-pack abs walking 14 minutes a day. And the point is, though, it's not even about those six-pack abs. It's about the person you become on the journey. It's the struggle that shapes you, not just the result. So we got to look at like the journey being the destination and then seeking out that struggle and not saying, I want to get here like this right like i want to get here tomorrow no like go through the suffering because it's in the suffering you'll evolve not about making the million dollars not about getting the car not about the six-pack abs it's the person you become on the journey that really really matters so you got to go through the struggle to become that
0: person oh i love that Uh, my favorite line of that whole that fantastic rant by the way um, was (laughs) journey being the destination i think there's so much power in that in that one line that was that was that was beautiful Thank you. Yeah, it really, really is. (laughs) Really, is the destination. So you're saying, um, just to clarify, um, if you know what your worthy struggle is, seek adversity Mm -hmm. that's in line with that worthy uh, struggle. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So once you kind of got figured out, okay, like I want to be a, you know, start a business, I want to write a book, I want to play chess, I want to write movies, whatever the path is then let that path consume you. This is another thing like it's not like a, you know, like work life balance kind of thing like I love talking. I mean, you can hear my my life, my work and my life is very like tied in, right? Mm-hmm. Like I talk about my personal life in my work, I talk about my work in my personal life. It's all it's all tied in. So let your path consume you and let it like in, envelop your soul, you know? Like my, like let you should be dreaming if you like my friend again, he wants to be a grandmaster in chess it consumes her. She's about to get there. It's amazing. Her journey, like, you know, she was stroking from a poor background and came and rose up and now she's about to be a grandmaster in chess. But that path is consumes you. Like I dream it, you know, like yeah. dream my ultra runs, dream my adventures, dream my business, and then let it like just envelop your soul. And mm-hmm. then you, you're going to make mistakes along the way, you know, but every failure is a stepping stone to the next evolution of yourself. Like you have yeah. to Like I I, like I like I call it an awakening. So when you have this awakening, it transforms you into a new version of yourself. And you're also like I think I think success is the evolution of the self. So when you step into the next greatest version of yourself, you have attained a success. And then the next thing is, okay, what's the next evolution? And in order to seek out the next evolution, you have to go through the next struggle. So like progress is not the elimination of problems. Progress is the creation of new problems. So you're always looking Mm -hmm. for that new problem to solve in order to evolve to the next self.
0: And that's, that's the exact uh, ethos behind, uh, you know, best me. It's literally not, it's not becoming, it's not the the end result of being the best version of you. It's, it's continually stepping into that better version of yourself on a, on a moment-to-moment basis. So I love,
1: love that. love that, man. Yeah, totally obviously resonate with that ethos. And that's why I love the name and everything you're doing. Oh, thanks, man.
0: Appreciate it. Um, also, like, say if someone has no idea what their worthy struggle is yet, um, <laughs> <laughs> would you recommend just uh, seeking Seeking adversity anyway, uh in, in any realm, whether it's, you know, cognitive, mental, emotional, or physical, just to just to see how it feels and how it resonates with them.
1: Yeah, without a doubt, like, uh, <laughs> without a doubt, absolutely. I mean, one of the yeah. most powerful ways is through exercise. I mean, exercise, again, not only did we touch on earlier, it works on mind, body, spirit, but neuro on, on a neurological level, like one neuroscientist calls exercise a miracle growth for the brain, because of <laughs> what it does to, the, to, to our, our brain on a neurological level. Another neuroscientist says that if they could put the effects of exercise into a pill, it'd be the best selling pill of all time, like better than any antidepressant and stuff like that. Mm. So exercise is the best thing you can do for your mind, body, spirit without a doubt. And it's also just a I mean barring like any serious physical disabilities almost anybody can do it right like almost anybody can get out there and suffer in some capacity yep. so uh without a doubt go do that because when you when you go into those spaces you'll discover something new within yourself and you will shatter whatever you'll start you'll you'll get to a point where you start shattering those labels that either you've assigned for yourself or the world has assigned for you and you'll start to get deeper into who you want to be who you who you are and who you want to be right like yeah. uh, so that's why it's really important and then through that you know like through, through all of this I've kind of discovered like that's why I mean I used to hate long distance running like I hate it. I was, when I'm back in uh, high school. Like before, I was uh, you know in Austin. I used to run hundred meters. Even like four hundred meters used to terrify me, and I hated it. And now, like look what I do, right? Like uh, uh but so I figured it out over time by pushing my limits, and and then inevitably you'll keep pushing them. But it'll also help you find out what your path is, you know. And so, like I said, some people might know it. Like my friends who you know know that they want to be a chess player, or a screenwriter. They might not. Go exercise regularly, but they kind of know it. If you know it, great, right? If you don't, then, like, again, start looking at what what your world is. Look at what other people are doing. Get those references. Because our brain is always operating from references that it gets from the outside world. So start looking for references and say, mm-hmm. okay, that thing kind of resonates with me. And, and you will see that. You know, like when I, when I read about professional athletes, like I was reading about Tom Brady and how he says – there's takes no days off. And like some people, one person actually said that Tom Brady's competitive drive is like a sickness. But to me, that fired me up. I was like, that's awesome. Like, (laughs) I want to be like, you know, so when you start seeing things like that, that resonate with you, you it'll start tapping into oh okay that says something about me who i want to be you know so yeah. when i look at certain things that like the guy's running 100 milers like that might fire me up when i see somebody in horrific pain from running 100 miles <laughs> uh, i'm like that sounds awesome you know that says something <laughs> about me right <laughs> yeah
0: I, I can relate to it
1: <laughs> so yeah exactly so it might not like you might see that and be like okay i have no desire to do that and that's cool like one thing i definitely want to stress is Like when people hear my talks, I'm like, you do not have to be someone who wants to run hundred milers. You do not have to do like to climb mountains like I do, or like find your own thing. But when you when you when you look at references around you and see that kind that thing's kind of cool, then then go explore that path and see, OK, maybe this is what I want to do, you know, and, uh, and do it with some intention and consciousness. I'm not saying just like randomly jump from thing to thing, like really, you know, tap in. It's a combination of awareness with action, like don't just randomly leap off cliffs, metaphorically speaking, but uh, uh, but like a- attach some awareness and then take action. And then through action, you'll gain new awareness. And it's kind of like a cyclical process that yeah. constantly is happening.
0: Well, yeah, I, I reference um, you know, a physical experience for me a few years ago. I, I, I told myself I'd never run a marathon. It's just, you know, I mm. said to myself at the time, uh, wh- "Why would someone even do that?" And then as soon as I said <laughs> that, I was like, "Oh no, that means I have to do it." Now. <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as I said it, um, I signed up to a marathon uh, in New Zealand, and yeah. I, didn't, I didn't really realize it was one of the, the toughest uh, off-road marathons in the country at the time. But I only gave myself six weeks to train for it. So going from couch—well, not quite couch—I was always active, but. Um, you know, to a full marathon, but I knew that I was doing it, and I knew I knew I'd get there. Well, I had a fair idea I'd get there. I didn't realize how yeah. painful it would be, but I knew that I was going to cross <laughs> that threshold. Yeah, so yeah. much gold. Eh? When I got to that, you know, I think I was about thirty-two k mark. When I had about ten k's to go, and my legs had completely seized up on me, and you know, things were getting a bit messy. Um, that's when the real, uh, you know, the real tools came about, and and the the power mm. in that experience came came through. And I really felt like I got a lot from that experience and it sort of pushed me on to do more of those sort of (laughs) things as well. That's awesome.
1: That's awesome, man. I love it. (laughs) It's a beautiful experience for
0: sure. um, it, It makes you realize, I mean, I think you're definitely testing these boundaries, which is what I love, but it makes you realize what the human being may be capable of.
1: Oh right, yeah. Like when we are capable, of so much more than we think we are. Yeah. You know, that's why one of the things when I share about running, which we talked about, like my own physical things, is not to say that I'm special. It's to show that we can all do that. Like it's mm. nothing. There's absolutely that. That's why, like, I want to stress that point. That like I do not. I'm not some physically gifted runner beyond just a blood disorder. I have flat feet. I have scoliosis. I have another condition that my body can't absorb nutrients. And that's the whole point. Is that it's there's nothing special about me. Like anybody could do this. And that's why I love your story about the marathon. You know, like just we can we can all get out there and push ourselves into new levels, and we have to go do it to experience
0: that yeah. to actually experience how how far we can push ourselves incredible um now I'd, I'd just like to get your opinion on this, so how much power or how much emphasis do you put in the process of reflection after the pain um, do you oh. think that, yeah i mean I, I feel like this is quite often overlooked
1: yeah, great question. I love that you brought that up. Uh, I think it is essential, and it's something that I didn't used to do, to be honest with you. I would go do, like, the skiing across the ice cap for a month. And then come back and j- just delve into the world or whatever, right? Like, and only now have I realized the invaluable process of reflecting on the experience. So even in my in my book *Firvana*, and in *Firvana*, I talk about like the sort of the experience of *Firvana*. There's a pre-experience, there's the experience, and then there's the post-experience. And the post-experience is like one thing I believe is essential is reflecting on it because that's when you really like part of it is consciously ha- like subconsciously happening anyway. But when you consciously sit with the experience, look into understanding it, like. What was the nature of the experience? Why does this matter? Is this something I want to keep doing? Is this something I want? Like, what did I gain from it? What are the awakenings that I can then practice? What are the tangible behavior takeaways that I now can implement in order to evolve, in order to change into that next greatest version of myself? Because as I said, like, you can have the powerful experiences that shape you. But if you don't ingrain the behavior changes, if you don't consciously look into them, then what's the point? Like if I came out of my darkness retreat and go back into the same – because here's the thing. Like for example in the darkness retreat, I came back to the same environmental context, right? Like the external reality of my world is the same. I have to bring a new being to that external reality, and that means – changing behaviors that means ingraining those behaviors it means reflecting on the experience that's why i journaled on it it means like processing them and taking action on them you know yeah. so um reflecting is invaluable and i think we all need to take more time for that stillness to say what actually happened like even like an like for example you know i could go gambling and a high that you get when you get gamble like right it's an adrenaline rush uh but then i could and, and it could be very similar to let's say a mountain climb or something like that in terms yeah. of like a potential high right like it's a risk it's a high yeah. but then you, then in the reflection you can look at what was the context of that high mm. is this really who i want to be you know uh otherwise we can just get caught up in a high which is what happens right like mm. i could drink myself stupid and and like and be on a high all the time or i could then <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean like you have to dig into the context of the experience to really and then ingrain the behavior change so i love that you asked that and i think and now I'm much more conscious about doing it, which I was not, uh, not that long ago, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. Oh, powerful stuff. Yeah. I, I always think about that with the, what you said about the high as well. Is it, is it, you know, is it a deep gratification or is it like a fizzy high? I think that's, you know, quite often for me, that's the difference. I um, Mm -hmm. I get a buzz from doing those little things and, um, you know, maybe having some, you know, chocolate or (laughs) um, other things that have that short, you know, that short sort of fizzy high, I guess. Drinking can be another one for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I think it's like, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but does it actually have some some deep gratification? Does it sort of satisfy you on you know, other levels? And when you spoke before about you know your experiences through your run, um, like mm-hmm. those great mm-hmm. humanitarian sort of um mm-hmm. experiences, that that's got to have some deep gratification there. That's going to last for a lifetime, not just that you know that little you know ten minute, fifteen minute, or even one day sort of high.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean those um those stay with you you know so you definitely get like these sort of temporary highs from like a long run and stuff like that mm-hmm. but you you get that really really core uh, satisfaction of knowing that you've pushed yourself knowing that you've doing something meaningful for the world yeah. uh, i mean running for me is just one vehicle of service but to me like i mean after coming out of the war and everything is about living for something greater than myself like i mean i actually found out 10 years after the war that my vehicle drove over an active bomb while i was in iraq and for whatever reason it didn't explode wow so you know, like, yeah, crazy thing to think about, right? I found out 10 years after the war, my staff sergeant told me that. And just again, that feeling that I should have died out there. So now the fact that I'm not dead is like, it's on me to not waste this life drinking liters of vodka. I have to do something meaningful with it in service of humanity. And so like these experiences give you that tangible, visceral, like sense of gratitude that I get to do this, that I'm blessed to do this, that it could be a whole hell of a lot worse. There's Humanity is suffering all over the world mm-hmm. man I mean that thing that just happened in New Zealand you know there's awful yeah. things happening Perfect. in the space in you know, like right now in Sri Lanka often things happening in humanity uh, all over the world and to be like grateful for what we are and to use that in service of those that I those that are around us that are suffering you know so uh, it definitely brings that great deep sense of gratitude that then you can mm-hmm. hold on to 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 create the next sense you know to say that okay this is who I want to be this feeling that I felt right now this is who I want to be as opposed to that temporary high that i get when i'm drinking or whatever you know what i mean yeah so holding on to that and using that for the next uh mission if you yeah, will i well,
0: mate, i can tell you you're definitely on the right track um and again well done but um, Thank you. i appreciate that man yeah so in terms of uh someone who's in that really really dark space and they're finding hard to you know see light anywhere mm-hmm. where would you mm-hmm. recommend someone like that starts
1: you know, like when you're like, yeah, yeah, when you're in the depths of the, the 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 absolute low, like when I was, let's say on the, you know, on the brink of suicide, um, it's, it's obviously a very, very hard place to be. I get that. You know, the first thing like that, like for me is one, I would say, if you can get, you know, get some support, talk to somebody, get some, get, get some, like somebody around you that, that always helps. But even if you don't have that, and I want to stress that because ultimately, no matter how much people around you. Uh, you're in your own world like we could mm. be surrounded by people and still there's like a difference between loneliness and being alone right like we could be uh alone like literally in the sense of like there's nobody around me and yeah. not feel lonely right or yeah. we can have tons of people around us and still feel lonely so ultimately you're going to have to engage yourself within uh and i think realizing the essence the core of it is realizing that you are not your thoughts your feelings your experiences and that to me was foundational like when i was sharing again that second art, realizing that because We get what we what happens is when we we get trapped by our low moments, like like I worked with this one person who she went to a therapist and the therapist labeled her with depression. Right. And said, and now what happened is this young kid, every time she felt low, she said, I am depressed. I have depression. Depression became a part of her Mm self-identity as opposed to saying, you know, saying something like my brain goes through a state of depression from time to time, but I am not my brain and my brain is not me. Recognizing that whatever is happening is not who you are. Mm. And it's a hard thing. It's, I know it's a kind of an abstract thing. It's a hard thing when you're in it, but like to really say, okay, I'm feeling these things, but I am the feeler of these feelings. I am not these feelings. I am thinking these things, but I am not these thoughts. I am not this experience, right? Okay. If I am not that, then who do I want to be? And recognizing that, That this experience of pain can be an access point to something beautiful, but you have to look at that. I mean, even if you look at our lives, right? Like humanity, who do we admire? If you look at anybody, any, you ask anybody who do you admire, it's always somebody who's gone through some adversity to experience something, right? So in a sense, we subconsciously praise and value adversity, but like we don't, we still demonize it. And it's this kind of weird paradoxical thing that we do on a global level, right? But we value adversity. Even if you look at our own lives, like what's the greatest thing you've done? it's gone. It's you. The, the greatest thing you've done is not sitting. Nobody's going to say sitting on a couch watching a movie, right? Like not to say that's a bad thing. But the point is that you can relax and do that. But the point is the greatest things we've done are things that have pushed us, you know, and anything worthwhile has come on the other side of some adversity. So when you start recognizing that you can start to see that, hey, oh, pain is good. It led me to these things in the past. OK, I'm in pain now. What can I do with this pain? Like I'm grateful for all the pain that I've experienced in my life, for all the struggles, because it has led me to fear of Without all that stuff. I never would be where I am today. I never would have understood life the way I am today. I would never have been able to serve the way I can serve today without having gone through all those things. So I, so now I know that, okay, whatever pain life throws at me in the future or whatever pain I'm seeking out, I know it's an access point to an evolution. So when you, when you start separating yourself from what is and realizing you can be outside of what is, and then also like developing a positive relationship to the experience of pain, however mm-hmm. it may show up, that allows you to leverage that in, t- in service of something more beautiful.
0: Great. I uh, I see there's uh, obviously some awareness there um around internal yeah. dialogue as well. So obviously thinking yeah. about how you're talking to yourself. Yeah and, and then changing that uh, that neural program um which is mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Talking about yeah. um people you admire, you had a um a forward and a recommendation from the Dalai Lama for <laughs> me book. <laughs> That's not a yes. bad push. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: that certainly was not. That was a huge blessing to be able to get that uh get a four from the Dalai Lama game changer as you might imagine. <laughs> Incredible. How did that come about? Uh,
0: <laughs> I actually yeah, of
1: course, of course. Yeah. I reached out to the office. I first tried to email them on, on the even on the website, which I didn't really get any response. So I found like through tons of research, <laughs> I found a name and an email address on Google. I didn't even know who the person was, but it was just a name and an email address. So I, it was in His Holiness's office. Reached out to him. I shot a video, personal video for the Dalai Lama, mentioning my story, all the struggles I've been through, what I'm doing with Firvana. All the proceeds from the book are going to charity. So not only is the content itself in service of humanity, the 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 sort of the, on a you know the the finances that we raise are, are in service of humanity as well. And um, shared this whole video. This one monk connected me to like three other monks. Eventually connected to the right person after five months of really building a relationship with a monk in the monastery there. He, um, you know, really, and, and the whole time, one thing I want to stress is I was constantly going through self-doubt. Why aren't they responding to my emails? Yeah. Maybe they hate my book. Maybe yeah, they don't like dialogue. Yep, that story yeah, exactly. Was playing it's out. never <laughs> going to happen. All that stuff. And I really want to stress that point because I was able to be with that voice, but not let that voice define me. Right? Like I would say, okay, this voice is happening, but I'm still going to follow up. I'm still going to take the action and not say, oh, okay, they hate me. I'm never going to, I'm not writing them again, you know? And as a result of being persistent, following up, building a relationship, uh, after 5 months this monk wrote to me saying considering everything you've been through and your genuine desire to serve I'll press your case and I ended up getting a four from the Dalai Lama which was just the biggest blessing ever I can't Amazing. even yeah it was... <laughs> well well earned
0: well definitely well earned
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was it was huge for just mean uh, on a personal level on a spiritual level and also just for the book it's helped it's helped the book reach more people which is ultimately I think what it's about because so I good. I so like good. to think it can make a difference yeah yeah
0: so, I mean, I, I can just see there's so many um, tangible and, untang- and intangible um, ways of, uh, you know, creating a better future, which is part of your um, your mission, isn't it, to create a better future for all? Is that right?
1: Absolutely. You know, like like I said, for me, I think that. Um, we are looking at progress wrong sometimes you know there's certain countries that now have like a happiness index and stuff like that Bhutan being the one that originated it I believe Uh, and we progress is not to make our lives easier it's actually to improve the experience of life and those things are very very different (laughs) which means that and it's a kind of a weird thing so I tell my friends they're like so wait you want people to be happier but you want them to struggle I'm like (laughs) yes (laughs) so my my business model is I want people to suffer more uh, but (laughs) like it's like a weird business model but in the in a way that's obviously in service of them right like not the kind of suffering that where we're in war and genocide and like the whole mm. poor poverty like there's a distinction so for example my nonprofit is focused on helping those who don't have the means to don't transcend their own suffering like people again victims of sex trafficking we've helped some of those you know people in poverty victims of uh, who are uh, in, in in war and genocide refugees those those kind of people and then then helping them get out to the point where then they can choose their and then at least they have the luxury and the means to then seek out their own worthy struggle so uh that's really the world of fear of Honor i want to build is to get people out of that struggle that they are not they don't where where it's like they don't have the means to transcend their own suffering you know and then give them the means to actually seek out a meaningful suffering, uh, suffering. So yeah that's that's where what i'm hoping to do <laughs>
0: that's great that's that's really really cool um so i i asked this question to all of my guests and it's the the, the final question um so if you were to You know, leave one piece of information, you know, a question or even uh, a thought uh, with all Mm -hmm. of the listeners to help Mm -hmm. them to, you know, step into a better version of themselves on a continuous Mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. Um, What Mm -hmm. would that be?
1: Fundamentally, like the most important thing is to practice and train and develop a positive relationship to suffering. So when you're in fear, when you're experiencing stress, anxiety, struggle, just remember that those experiences are not your enemy. Like fear can be fuel to your greatness. You know, I worked with this one kid who, uh, one client who said, I'm just waiting for the fear to go away. So quit my job and start my business. I said, that's your problem. You're waiting for the fear to go away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like fear is an access point to love. Like the reason I was terrified writing a book on fear, but because I was terrified, I actually studied on how to write a better book because I was scared Mm -hmm. of writing a bad book. I always like to say fear propels you to prepare. So when you're in fear, when you're in stress, when you're in anxiety, use that emotion, understand it, delve into it, use it to accomplish the goal and practice and train in developing a positive relationship to suffering. There is no more important skill in the world than that. Most important skill you can practice is that positive relationship to struggle.
0: Beautiful. Words of wisdom right there. And, and thanks again, XJ, uh, for coming on, man. I uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, you're a busy man. Um, and I can't oh, wait thanks. to hear more about your, uh, your intentional struggles.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show. I love the conversation. Really appreciate it, my friend.
0: This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.